You can be open up your Bibles to the book of John. As we've been studying the last couple of months, uh, Gospel of John, of course, is, uh, is a wonderful, wonderful book, uh, studying the life, uh, describing the life of Jesus, his coming to earth to be the sacrifice for our sin and to give us hope, give us life. Uh, remember John 20, verse 30. I'm going to read it again, as I've been doing every week. The reason the gospel was written, John tells us in verse 30 of chapter 20, and truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. What a wonderful statement. We can have life in his name. Not, not just eternal life, but life here on earth, in this world. A dark world, as we talked about when we read through John 1, the prologue. How this was a dark world. Men loved the darkness more than the light. And Jesus was that light, that light that came into the dark world and in verse 14 of John 1 became flesh and lived among us. Showing us the word, the word in the flesh that was there at the beginning, before the beginning, was with God and was God. What a wonderful, wonderful chapter, wonderful statement, wonderful thought. And each and every one of us have the opportunity to believe in him, believe in his name, believe what he did for us, and have life, true life, in this lane. Last week, we talked about John the Baptist for the second time, where John described him and his disciples were baptizing in the wilderness, and how they kind of complained, right? Because they saw Jesus and his disciples were baptizing more people. And they said, what's going on? And, you know, they're being competitive, I guess you might say. And what did John say to his disciples at that point? He said, what? This is the one. He is the one. He must increase, I must decrease. I simply came as a forerunner, the one crying in the wilderness that the Messiah was coming, that Christ was to come. And he was not the one to be followed ultimately, but Jesus was the true Christ, the true Son of God, the true Messiah. Well, of course, these disciples went on to write the Gospels, uh, Paul's letters, other letters from Peter and John. We have that now to see all about what it was like to be with Jesus in the flesh. And we can see that record, and we can see the examples, and we can see what they wrote about him, the love that he had for them, the love that God had for us. And we can follow that example too, right? We can follow that example of John the Baptist of decreasing while he increases, humbling ourselves, being faithful to the end of our lives, and, of course, looking forward to that reward, right? Part of that, though, and I hope this is you in the case, is we, we as Christians want to share that good news, right? That gospel. We as Christians are commanded to do this, right? We, we have a mission in our lives to share what Jesus did for us with others, that they might also be able to share in that hope, share in that life, you might say, in this world. See the light in the darkness. But you know what? If you're like me, and, and I'm sure you are in this case, you feel awkward at times, right? Trying to talk to someone about the gospel, right? There's, it, it's, it's, uh, it, can be a, it can be a little bit divisive to talk about Jesus Christ at times, right? But it shouldn't be. It should be a wonderful thing. It should be something that we are always ready to do. It should be something that we are always looking to do with those around us, right? 
by establishing contacts, having friends, looking for ways to discuss the gospel with them, perhaps even have a Bible study, setting something up. That's something that we should be thinking about. Today, we're going to read about an encounter Jesus has with the Samaritan woman. And we're going to look at that, and, and maybe we can, we can learn a few things about what Jesus did with her to discuss who he was so that she could see who he was and learn and hear, hear the good news, hear, hear about the Messiah. Yes. It is, yeah. Yeah, Warren is saying it is difficult to go out and talk, especially knocking doors. That, that can be a tough situation. We, we do that. Brother Ben has several opportunities for us to do that, and that's something we need to do. We need to go out into our community, right? But it can be very awkward and very tough to do sometimes to go meet a stranger, right, and try to talk to them about the gospel. And that, and that, very awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Very good. Thanks for your comments, Warren. We'll get into that a little bit more here as we go through the class today. Let's, uh, let's turn over to John chapter 4 and just read about that encounter Jesus had with the Samaritan woman. Let's see what it, what it says about that. John chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and, and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew... Ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Hmm. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I might not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. 
The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Wow. Interesting encounter, is it not? We're observing Jesus in action here. All right. Not with his followers anymore, but he's going into Samaria now, and he's talking to someone who, surprisingly to the woman, is a Samaritan dealing with a Jew. You see, even at that time, you had racial problems, social problems, right? Samaria's a little bit north of Judea, and then Galilee's above that. Many times Jews, if they wanted to go to Jerusalem from Galilee or vice versa, they went around Samaria. They actually went east of the Jordan to do that, so they didn't have to pass through Samaria. That's the kind of relationship, the kind of things they thought about the Samaritans. Samarians, they, they were, you might, walk, might call half-breeds, you know, they had married in Jews with Gentiles and so forth. Uh, but Jesus and his disciples deliberately decided to pass through Samaria, guaranteeing they're going to have some contact, right? Absolutely. Well, we can glean some things, as Warren was talking about, about making contact with folks. In fact, today we're going to look at about seven different things that we can see from this passage about personal evangelism, perhaps. Some things that Jesus is doing. And first and foremost, we've got to have social contact, right? Of course, now we've got to stay six feet apart, right? I'm not sure if he was six feet apart at the well, probably not. But, yes, we've got to make contact with people. Just mentioned the importance of Jesus passing through Samaria. Sometimes you may have to make that specific route or that specific, take that specific road to make a contact. That might have to happen. You might have to get out of your comfort zone just a little bit to do that. Jesus and his disciples chose to pass through Samaria, assuring that they were going to have contact. Look over in Luke. I want to see a passage over there. Luke chapter 5 real quick. And let's just look at something there. Verse 29. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Here we have a perfect example. The Jews didn't associate with tax collectors. Well, it's not easy to be friends with somebody who's gouging it, is it? I mean, you know, kind of, kind of frustrating. And sinners. But Jesus went in. He was willing to do that. He was willing to make contact with those who are not necessarily considered 
the appropriate people to be talking to, the Jew. See, when people aren't coming to Christ, it's because we're not probably going to the people. I mean, we can, we can be fishers of men, but if you're fishing in a barrel and the fish aren't in the barrel, what good is it? You need to be able to make contacts. You need to make social contacts. And as Warren said, sometimes we've got to go out and get out of our, our comfort zone and, and meet people, do that. Haggai, too, of course, said maybe the problem is that it's not that the sowing is, not, is hard, but that the seed's still in the barn, right? Sometimes we've got to get out and put the seed out on the ground, and that ground is ripe for harvest. We can't confuse separation with isolation. We are told at times, and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, that we need to be separate, right? And that is very true. As Christians, we need to be separate. And we are set apart. We are sanctified by the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's read a passage here real quick. <clears throat> Starting in verse uh, 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord is Christ with Belial? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. Almighty. So we, we are to be separate. We, we are not supposed to be associating with those who are, who are sinners. Why? Why is that? Well, first and foremost, because we don't need that influence, right? It's easy to be influenced by friends and family, especially those who are not doing things that we know they should be doing. So, yes, we need to be separate in that respect, right? We need to be making sure we're not joining the crowd or following along with what they're doing. But turn over to John chapter 17, and let's read a verse from that chapter. Look at verse uh, 15 there. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Here we have Jesus' prayer. I saying to God, I do not pray that you take them out. They need to be here but you keep them safe. In a sense, we're saying the same thing there. Don't associate with the evil ones. Don't be part of what they're doing, but we have to live in the world. And now look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. I, write, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters so then you would need to get out of the world. But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Paul's saying here, yeah, you're not supposed to be associating with those who are sexually immoral, those who are doing things they're not supposed to do, especially if they're a brother or sister. But you cannot come out of the world. You're not, be, not to be separated from those who need to hear the gospel. Withdrawing ourselves from those who have not heard or obeyed the gospel is contrary to the will of God. We need to be cultivating those contacts. For students, of course, at school, we can have contacts. Um, even the young can do it. Uh, and really, if you're doing it young, you're creating a good habit, right? As you get older, it should be something you're already doing. 
something that's going to help you in the future. As workers, we have opportunities at work, right? Now, I'm not saying you've got to go in there and start banging people on the head with your Bible, but you can have relationships, this is what we're talking about, one-on-ones, perhaps, opportunities. And, of course, at home with your family and neighbors, right? Do you even talk to your neighbors? For some reason, in this day and age, we don't seem to talk to our neighbors like they did years ago, right? Some of you folks who grew up in a small town, you knew everybody in town, didn't you? Yeah. You sat on your porch on Saturday night and talked to everybody who went by, didn't you? Before you had TV and all this other stuff going on. I know, I've heard the stories. That was a good thing. It's not as easy to do that nowadays. People tend to pull in their garage, shut that door, and you never see them again, right? You've got to make a little effort there. Something you may have to get out of your comfort zone to do. All right. Look back. Yes. Yes, sir. Good, very good. So what Rain is saying is Henry Price used to put a smiley face on the kid's fingers when he saw him. I never got one of those when you came here. Why didn't I get one? <laughs> yes, exactly, and that's, that's a wonderful thing. It, again, having forethought to make contacts, right? Now, I don't know. I, I, I'm not a salesman. I know some of you guys are, are ladies or have been in sales, and, and that's something you probably do is your job, something you do every day. It's not easy for me to do that, right? I'm not as... Good, I'm an engineer. I, I'm more about thinking about how things work rather than making the contacts. But that's something we need to think about as Christians always, right? Always think about how can we make a contact. Very good. That's a great, great idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start using that song. Do you still do that sometimes? Great. Excellent.
Exactly. And it's good to be around someone like that, perhaps, that you can learn from or help you. Yeah. Warren is saying, our personality has a lot to do with it, and that's very true. I, I, I was a pretty shy guy coming up, you know. I, the, when I was a teenager, I thought of trying to talk to a girl. I was pretty nervous when I tried to do that. You know, I don't know, I, I mean, I wasn't the best looking guy in the world or anything either, obviously, so that didn't help, but yeah, a person has to do that, but I had some friends that had no problem with that, and I can remember trying to say, hey, why don't you go ask her if she likes me or something like that, you know, doing that kind of thing, you know, because he didn't care, he'd do it. Yeah, there's certain things about our personality that we have to overcome too, right? Absolutely, and it helps when you know somebody that doesn't have a problem with that. I, have, I had a granddad who talked to anybody, he was, he was an unbelievable salesman, uh, he, he would take me with him sometimes on trips when I was little, when be in Tennessee at his house. He could talk to anybody, and I used to be in awe of that, you know, because I was kind of shy. I couldn't do that. But yeah, that's another thing. Think of things to do there. Perhaps you need a little gimmick, and I don't mean that's a silly gimmick, putting a smiley face on a finger, but that's something you can think about and do. Absolutely, absolutely. Turn over to John again. Let's, let's read. Let me go back and read uh, verse 7. I want to make another point here. Uh, verse 7 in chapter 4, if I can get back over there. <clears throat> Jesus says, a well, it, it says in uh, verse 7, A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So not only do we make contacts, we need to establish a common interest, right? Something that we can talk about that we know in common. Here, Jesus, he's at the well. The woman's coming to draw water from the well. So what's his first, say, what's his first statement? Give me a drink. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a, what do you call it? A icebreaker or whatever. You know, that, that's getting the conversation going, right? Look for things that are, you have in common, right? Uh, Jesus' first words of that, he was thirsty. His first words contained a common interest. And he realized the need to build a rapport with this woman, especially in a spiritual matter. Common interest allows us to move on to more meaningful things, like spiritual matters, right? Uh, sports. Uh, I don't know. Food. Jolene watches those cooking shows, and, I, and I, I'm enjoying them more and more now, too. They, they are pretty interesting what those people, those professional cooks can come up with, you know? And... Uh, I'm enjoying eating some of it, too. But there's a lots of things you can talk about. You need to look for that. Look for those common things that you get started. A bridge, a way to get from a point of becoming a friend, having a relationship with someone, and getting to that point of being able to speak of spiritual matters with them. Common interests might be like talking about family. You know, hey, you got any grandkids? My answer is that's no, but... You know, that happens. Uh, how, have you seen your grandkids? What do they look like? You got any pictures? You know, let me see your grandkids. Those kind of things. How about activities, work, projects, things going on? What, what, what are you working on these days, you know? How's that going? Uh, what, what, what are you staying busy with? Perhaps travel. Uh, some people like to travel, talking about things. Movies, anything. I, I have a buddy at work. I hadn't seen him in a few months, but when he's at the office... In the morning, we get there, first thing he's doing, he's coming in my desk, and he's saying, hey, did you see that movie the other night? Did you see this show? 
He loves to talk about that stuff. And, and we've had discussions about religious matters. I've not had a Bible study establishing like that, but he knows where I stand with some things just by the fact that we were talking about some things we like to see. He had an interest in that. There's opportunities everywhere. Yes, sir. Is the what? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That makes it tough. Yeah. Yeah, Warren said you got to be careful knocking doors about the people that are sleeping because they work at night and things like that. That's true. Yeah, that makes it tough. That's another tough thing about going and having blind contacts and things like that. And, and it is better if you can get to know someone personally before you start talking and that kind of thing. That is a very good point. <clears throat> and you don't have to feel like you need to immediately start talking about spiritual matters, right? You need to build that rapport. You need to be able to talk about things that are common... That, interest each, each other together that kind of thing right in fact we probably do need to do that before we do start talking about spiritual things and we need to think about how we're going to arouse that spiritual interest now, perhaps we don't have it's, it just comes up but most of the time that's not going to happen is it that's something we should have to be thinking about in verse 9 there I just read about the fact that he's talking about the water and let's go back and read that again one more time he says, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. There you go. He started out saying, Give me a drink. We have a common interest. I'm thirsty. You have water. And then she goes into the, talking about the fact that Jews don't like Samaritans. Hmm. Okay. Now we've got a little bridge there, right? In fact, his example to her is, as a man... He's, first of all, he's speaking to her, a woman. That's a big deal at that time, right? That a man would speak to a woman. As a teacher or a rabbi, he's speaking to her as an immoral woman, which he knows. And as a Jew, of course, he's speaking to her as a Samaritan. He aroused interest just by speaking to her, just by regarding her existence. <clears throat> well, we can arouse spiritual interest by our example, but not harboring social divides or, or racial things, that being a good example of that, not, not holding that against anyone, which we shouldn't be doing, and also by showing compassion to all, even those who are evil or wicked. Now, you can say, oh, everybody's good. Well, okay, but I bet somebody's done you wrong at some point, haven't they? And you may not have gotten resolution of that, have you? Probably some things that have happened in your life that you wish had been resolved a little better. Something we need to consider. That shouldn't stop us. Also through your words. Let's continue to read there in chapter 4 again, starting at verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. 
Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I should give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Okay. You think she has any questions after that? Of course she does. And, we're gonna, and we see that, right? Then you can say things that will make them start to think. Right? Using your words. Showing compassion to them and then using your words to say, well, what about this? What about that? Maybe making them have more questions. For instance, why do you think the world is in such a mess? Would you be interested in hearing what the Bible has to say about that? Do you go to church anywhere? Are you a Christian? Just simple questions like that, right? Things that you can say to someone after you've built that rapport, after you've developed a little bit of a relationship. It should be something that you begin talking about that's in common agreement, though. Start with things that you would agree with, right? Things who, that they would not have a big problem with. Uh, eventually, you're going to want to confront, perhaps. But at, the, at this time, you don't want to do that. You don't, you don't want to get that, uh, I guess you might say, that negative feeling going there. Turn over to Acts chapter 13. Let's read something there. Did I read the first bell? Man. I think we're going to have to continue this study next week, but... That's okay. All right, Acts chapter 13, and look at verse uh, 15. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Persia and Pamphylia, and John, uh, Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they had departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after reading the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and notice that, he's, he's addressing them as men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as a king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. You see, Paul's right off the bat addressing men of Israel about the history of the kings. David, Saul, he's establishing that common interest, right? That common interest in the synagogue there, talking about this God that established these kingdoms, and he's going to get to the gospel, the good news eventually. But that's how he's starting out. Our spiritual interest is aroused by having common interests, right? Especially if you're going to talk about spiritual things, you need to do that. This was a practice of the apostles. Well, another point we might make there is not to go too far too fast. Give a person what they're ready for. Back to John chapter 4, and look at verse 15 there. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I might not thirst, nor come here to draw. And then what does Jesus say? Interesting. 
He says to her, go call your husband and come here. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. What? First you just give me a drink, and now you tell me to go get my husband. How do you know about my husband? Wait a minute. She wanted living water, but she didn't understand what that meant, really. She, she saw the need to uh, ask him some more questions, right? And Jesus saw the need to slow down and provide a proper groundwork for that, perhaps. She needed faith in him first to get that living water. She needed evidence. So instead of just giving her living water, what does he do? He tells her to get her husband. Now, of course, he knows this miraculously. We, we don't necessarily know someone has a husband or not. But he's using that to build on. He's using that to build on her faith to show her who he actually is. Sometimes people don't realize what they need at first, right? And we need to go slowly. We need to take it slow and steady. And perhaps they'll want to talk about something different when you're doing that, right? See, another principle of, of personal evangelism uh, considers how people might react to what you say. Have you ever talked to someone about studying the Bible at all? I had a colleague years ago who became a Christian, he said, because of prophecy. That was the reason he became a Christian. He went to a Baptist church. He, he had, his doctrine was Presbyterian, Baptist, he had it all. But his reason for becoming a Christian was revelation. He, he studied revelation, Ezekiel, all, those, all the prophets, trying to understand the end times. Sometimes you've got to take people back to the first principles first, right? They want to go there, and you've got to say, wait a minute, before we go there, we need to see what this is all about in the beginning. Some want to discuss church organization, but they really need to know first principles, right? Um, it's, not a, it's not so important to know the details of the uh, things you hear about in the news, perhaps. We need to know... We need to get the, the milk and the meat, the things that are more important. Another example that Jesus gives us here is we don't need to condemn unnecessarily. He could have dealt with her simply as being an adulteress, right? He knew it. She's living with a man that's not her husband. But he didn't do that. John 12 says he came not to condemn the world but to save. Verse 46 through 48. Not to say he won't one day judge the world, but at this point, he's here to save. He's here to make disciples, followers. Though we preach against sin, and we should do that, our primary purpose is to save and not to judge. Yes, we, we can see how people live, but we're not the ones who are supposed to judge that. We're not the ones who are to condemn, right? And preach against it, but we are here to save. Another important principle is, Stick with the main issue. In the case of the Samaritan woman, what does she want to do? She wanted to change the subject. What does she start talking about? She's talking about this love and water. Wait, wait a minute, you, you Jews, y'all tell us we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. What's up with that? She's trying to change the subject. You ever had an argument with somebody that started deflecting on you? Trying to change your subject? Get you talking about something else? 
Have you ever had an argument with your spouse? Did your spouse start deflecting on you? Did it make you mad? <laughs> Perhaps it was a good thing. Maybe you need to talk about something else. I don't know. But that's what she's doing here, right? What does Jesus do? He answers the question, and then he gets back to the point, right? He says, you know, God wants you to worship in spirit and truth. And there will come a day where it's neither in Jerusalem, here at the well, or whatever. He wants us to worship in spirit, in spirit and truth. Got to move quickly. Stick with the main issue. That's what we got to do. And then finally, eventually you're going to have to confront, right? Jesus is up here. Finally, Jesus confronts someone. He says, I am he. I am the one. Whoa. Imagine her hearing that. Of course, he's already established that he knows something kind of interesting. He knows something about her that she can't figure out how in the world he would know it other than being a prophet. And she says so, right? I perceive that you are a prophet. How would you know this? In trying to set up a Bible study today, perhaps we need to take advantage of social contact, develop those common interests, be open to comments that indicate a spiritual interest while demonstrating our own faith through our actions and words, Avoid fruitless arguments, emphasize common things, right? Praise good points and encourage them in the right direction. And have one primary objective, to help them understand their need for a Savior. That's the most important thing, right? Eventually, you're going to have to confront them if you get to that point, if they haven't left already, right? And again, this is gently, being done gently and with love, not condemning, but at some point, you're going to say, does this make sense? Is this anything I've said to you that you do not understand? Have I been teaching you anything other than what the Bible says? Would you like to obey Christ now and be baptized for the remission of your sins? That's the ultimate goal, right? That's what we want to eventually get to. What happened with the Samaritan woman? Stay in chapter 4 there. Start with verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told... He told me all that I ever did. So that when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. When you talk to someone about the gospel, it's probably not just one person you're going to be talking to. Yeah, at that point you are. But if they obey the gospel, somebody else is going to hear about it through them. Every time you talk to someone, you're talking to several. And that's a great point to end on. All right, sorry we've gone over today, but this was a bit of a long lesson. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.